Welcome, everybody. This is Charlie, and this is the uh, podcast To Hell and Back. Um, title sort of speaks for itself. Um, I just, just parenthetically say I visited Marsha Linehan this weekend, past weekend in Seattle, and uh, to see how she was doing. And uh, she's had, she's had some, some health struggles. And at the same time, um, the, support, the supportive community around her is just totally heartwarming. Uh, the, the level of compassion that she has managed to generate in people around her, it just speaks to how social support gets going around somebody and how sustaining it is and, and, and how meaningful it is. So it was very lovely to see her and, uh, and, and now to get back to work and, uh, and see all of you. Um, so you probably know if you're listening to this podcast that this is actually a fourth part of a four part. What up to now is a four parts. Uh, you never know how many parts there'll be. Uh, and, but four parts about uh, talking about living with cancer, talking with Seth Axelrod for the last three podcasts about his own experiences in sometimes in brutal detail about what it's been like and what he's coped with and also with how he has coped with it and what the challenges have been. And I just want to summarize one thing and then I want us to jump into today because today has a, a very special uh, additional element to it. I want to say that I've been thinking in listening to Seth and talking with Seth these last three hours. I think this is relevant to people coping with adversity. Is it, I hadn't thought of it this way before, but it's kind of like at this moment, I would say people enter episodes of adversity with angels and they enter them with skills. And sometimes there's an overlap, but the angels are things like your, what you bring to the situation that isn't necessarily a skill, even if it's the product of some previously used skills. So a social support system, we've talked a fair amount about that. A sense of humor, a temperament that allows you, that, that allows you to recover in the moment or fairly quickly after blow after blow after blow and reposition yourself in the present moment. I think there's a temperamental feature that some people have and more of than others. And I think it's just a lucky break. I think it's a, and I think Seth brings a lot of that to the table and not that there aren't skills in that, but there's a kind of a temperamental balance that helps. Uh, I think intellectual curiosity helps. I think having interest in what you're going through uh, and able to conceptualize it, I think has been helpful. And, 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 and then there's family resources and social support resources, as I said. And as we'll get to, and the main focus of today, after we spend a little time catching up with something we finished on last time, is um, having, in Seth's case, having a wife that's been on this journey with him from the first minute of it and before that, and how they have coped with it and how she has coped with it. So we're going to hear from her in this podcast. And so I want to welcome both Seth and Rebecca, who if you're on the Zoom cast, you can probably see both of them. If you're just listening, you can hear them in just a minute. <laughs> but welcome, Rebecca, because you haven't been on up until now. I really appreciate it. Um, 
fact. Um, so, and then there's all these skills that we've talked about uh, that have been interspersed through all of this, as I think it should be. Uh, and, and I think a heavy emphasis on accepting reality, a radical acceptance of reality, a heavy emphasis on awareness of reality with skills like observing and describing and, and, and trying to avoid getting into too many judgments that pull you off center and uh, trying to stick with one thing in the present moment at a time and trying to use all of that to cultivate making wise mind choices as opposed to not very wise mind choices. And I think all of that is a DBT skills. And then there's uh, other skills we haven't gotten into quite as much. There's, but one we, we're heading into now, I think, will be one called willingness. Um, if you're not sure what that is, you're about to learn. Because where we left off last time, when Seth and I were talking, um, was getting into the topic of what to do about bitterness, about how possible it is when you have something like cancer or some other inescapable adversity that you have to contend with, of how easy it is and how natural it is to fall into feelings of bitterness and sometimes not be able to get out of them so easily. And so, I, I had asked him at the very end of last time, if at the beginning of this time, and before we kind of jumped into what's, what things have been like for Rebecca, if he said a little more about his experiences of, of possible bitterness or how he has coped with that um, and, and the skills that he's used for that. So Seth, I want to introduce you again. I'm just so happy that you're back again and uh, appreciate a lot to be getting to know you. Uh, thank you, Charlie. I want to um, again say I'm I'm really grateful to be on the podcast to get to be speaking with you to get to be um, sharing about you know something I'm going through in a way that hopefully adds more meaning to it. Hopefully, uh, does offer things to people that are going through whether it's cancer or other kinds of adversity uh, that there may be things from this. And I really appreciate some of the messages that have come in of people saying that they are getting things from this, that they are uh, this, this example, uh, the way I've approached some things. Uh, it's been helpful applying skills or new iterations, new ways of approaching them. Um, and, uh, and I also want to acknowledge that, that for me, this is kind of, you know, willingness is, is diving into the pool. It's kind of jumping into some unknown without a certainty of how it goes. It's, it's trying things and, um, doing things consistent with values, you know, which I, which I want to touch on just a little bit. Um, but that, uh, to me, I don't know exactly what happens with these podcasts. I don't know exactly who sees them and what ripples occur. Um, and while I've been open, this is being much more open in a way that I haven't been before. And then this evening I'm doing, I'm doing it again because I've invited my wife in, which as a psychologist, for the most part, I leave my, you know, I may share a story here or there, but my family isn't present with me when I'm doing my professional work. Mm -hmm. And this is a cross between my personal life and doing things consistent with, um, with things that are meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and like with you doing this podcast to be trying to help people who suffer and, and that connection. So it's, again, me... Uh, jumping out into the into the world um, in another way by bringing my partner with me, my wife, uh, to this. So I'm very aware of that, and I'm very curious about kind of how how that goes and what where that goes. Uh, so thanks for that opportunity. Thanks for for suggesting it. Um, I'll just tell you, Seth. 
you're not going to get any very quick outcome to the question of how that goes out there into the universe. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be like everything else you've been coping with for six years. There's going to be a lot of uncertainty about this for a oh, while. Oh yeah. 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 No, I, I'm, I'm the way my mind works. You know, I, I know that in the next days I'm going to hear something and I know that, you know, months from now or years from now, you know, someone's going to say, right. I just saw this podcast and I have this, you know, or that's right. You know, right. So uh, the bitterness thing, you know, uh, I think some of that good luck, um, I haven't struggled with lots of bitterness. When I, when I think about my experience of coping with cancer, of dealing with this, it doesn't center around bitterness. Um, and, and, you know, I think, you know, there's people who look at resiliency and try to figure out like, what's the difference between the people who are destroyed by adversity and people who aren't and maybe even develop in some way. Um, it hasn't been central, you know, and yet there certainly has been bitterness that's shown up. There's been things that have occurred. I think for the big picture on the cancer, the fact that this is a natural trauma, I think helps me. The fact that there, that I'm not, there aren't obvious things that draw me into blaming, you know, someone did this to me or I did this to me or something like that. And I think if it was, I suspect I'd have to work harder on the radical acceptance and the non-judgmental to let go of that. If I think about parts of the story where there was some kind of human created challenge, if it was um, uh, an insurance delay or denial that I had to fight and you know, get access to the kind of one of the radiation treatments, um, at the time there was definitely uh, direction of fighting that that would bring up anger and uh, and if I think of another time where I got what I think was um, poor medical advice from someone who presented it as if it was um, good medical advice and even when presented with here's a different option I'm being told about here's what you're telling me am I getting this right and the person said uh, yes and still expecting me to take that option. Mm -hmm. And then when I said, why well, I'm going to go with the other option, the response, and I have an email that's still in my email somewhere was, uh, I'm so glad that you had two excellent choices. And, right. and there's, and if I, and if I talk about this, you know, I do reconnect with that little, you know, there must be, um, uh, you know, there is a little resentment. There is a, there is, you know, some kind of grudge in there. But I don't spend time with that, you know, I, I let it go. And if it was eating at me, I would be working harder at letting that go. You know, it's such a small piece of things and it's almost a comical story at this point. Um, but it isn't a lot of bitterness, you know. So one, I think the fact that I don't attribute it to anything but the universe work this way and that I naturally release that. I, I, I come to a place of, you know, I'm, I'm at mercy of um, the luck that caused this, and this can happen, and it's the why not me. It's why me, why not me. You know, um, and, you, and, you're, and you're acknowledging you're at the mercy of, uh, more difficult to accept, is uh, human error or human bad decisions, uh, you know, well that, right? Well, that one would be harder. The, the fact that so much of my story, I don't, I think the fact that it's natural causes. Yeah. You know, that's, that's no, a natural, that's no, a I get creation it. of, you know, I, I, I can't be angry or I, I don't feel angry 
at mutations happen and my immune system didn't kick it off before it turned into a, you know, uh, a growth or whatever. Um, right. That right. This thing is there and it's my lot. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the cards I was dealt and I, you know, that willingness to, uh, the acceptance of these, the cards I have and the willingness to play them. So I think coming back to those skills, um, I think that also uh, emotion regulation, thinking about things related to noticing the emotions that come up and being able to take a step back. And if I am going down a road that might be leading me toward a bitterness, I think I, I stop myself and I, and I use my skills. I go back to you know, practicing more willingness. If that means doing more mindfulness, if that means whatever that is, um, to, to not get consumed. Um, I think there is a monitoring that I do and noticing reactions. Um, and so there's that, you know, I think there's, I think there's those skills. One thing that really struck me, you know, one question that you've put to me and others have put to me about the openness, about remarking on this being so open in my coping. And I have been for years from the initial diagnosis. I, I shared it with my colleagues and my Facebook and my patients. Um, and what I'm struck with is that the coping that I do is very values consistent. You know, and even if it's DBT skills that I'm using, that I monitor and I notice, am I doing things in a way that, that, um, that I approve of, you know, that kind of, that I can look at and say, that's the way I'd, you know, I want to see myself coping. I want to see other people see me, that this is the person I want to be. And I think a lot of these DBT skills um, get my seal of approval, you know, and right now, you know, doing this. Um, I think the fast skills that this is interpersonal behavior and I'm sticking to values. And that's true with being open here. Um, that's also true just internally, uh, practicing willingness and saying, okay, um, what's gonna be effective here? Um, putting myself, you know, to if, if a surgery, you know, there was, there was one surgery, uh, not my first one, but my second one, that I was surprised the morning of the surgery by how terrified I felt going to the surgery because I hadn't mm. been terrified the day before. Mm. The morning of, it hit. Mm -hmm. And I remember going um, to the surgery room and, uh, and communicating with the doctors, you know, um, uh, there and being terrified and choosing to, this is what I'm participating in. Mm -hmm. You know, this is what's needed. Um, I can't, you know, I can't imagine um, not uh, to the best of my ability responding in ways that to me seem like the, the thing to do, even if my emotions are, are wanting to pull me in other directions. Mm -hmm. You know, if I think of that example, you know. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. the, the last thing that I think for me I, 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 is a speculation on, on why it's not, you know, why doesn't bitterness stick? Mm -hmm. And it's really the, it brings us to tonight, which is that um, I have a life partner, you know, that I have someone that's been with me through all these hurdles 
And I've never, I've never had to go through any part of this without having this secure base uh, mm. to draw from. And, you know, if I didn't have that, I don't know if I could have coped this well. You know, I just, I just, I don't know because I had it. Right. You know? And that when there were uh, big emotions, if there was points where, you know, I did have to uh, let go of some work thing and it was devastating for me, uh, my wife, Rebecca, was there um, and, and uh, supportive and accepting. And, um, and I always had that experience of going through this with someone. And I think I got tremendous strength uh, for that. I think that, and I think um, that's a likely very significant part mm. of not mm. feeling this bitter. And the thing that I, um, mm. I shared with you that it brings me to is, is I make the comparison of um, people that suffer that you and I and other, some others listening, uh, we, we make our professional lives trying to reach out and help people who go through adversity and often don't have those kinds of life partners, uh, people that they're, that they're going through, you know, the, the challenges with, Either they don't have the relationships that they wish they had or, or they, they don't know are possible, or they have relationships, but in the relationships, they don't get the, the love and acceptance in ways that they find supportive when they're, when they're going through their worst uh, right. time. Right. Um, so, and, so true. Yeah. And so, so that sticks out to me. And that, you know, and, and you and I also have spoken about how, you know, in our work, we, we try to... Um, uh, instill the hope that these things are possible. And I think that they are crucial elements. And that's not exactly DBT, like you say, but it's such a significant piece. You know, if, if someone um, wants to have that kind of relationship and they don't have it, or they're going through things and they haven't built that kind of relationship, you know, I've, I've you know, I had that. I had um, I've always had that. I wanted to share one more thing. I know we're going to shift and we're going to talk a little bit about, we're going to hear from, from Rebecca and hear some of the spouse experience. But I wanted to hit one more, which also relates to the bitterness, which is the humor. And that, and that all the way through in the hospitalizations, going into the hospital, I mean, there's always been things that, um, that, that we and our family and, and people around me, uh, the doctors, the nurses, there's been, there's been things, there's been humor. Uh, to bring to it. Uh, one um, uh, that hit kind of early on, that's been a uh, kind of a running joke with us, it involves Rebecca. And it's when I realized that um, if I'm ever hit by a bus, okay, then at the funeral, the story for Rebecca to share with people is I beat cancer. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> I like that. I like so, that. And with that, I want to turn things over. <laughs> you like to ask my wife. I didn't know that was coming. That's very funny. Yes, that's right. You beat cancer. Yes, yes. The Iron Man, Captain Proton, and all of your power. You beat cancer by getting hit by a bus. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Oh if I, my if God. I could be so lucky. <laughs> oh my God. Humor is so important. When, when my, when, when my wife and I went a lot of years in our relationship before we decided we would go ahead and have children. And then if for various reasons we needed to, and then felt good about adopting two boys. And, um, and when we did our deepest worry was that they wouldn't think we were funny. <laughs> like, like that, that we, cause we liked our sense of humor and we were kind of irreverent and dark in our sense of humor. We thought, what if we have these like straight children mm. who like, don't think we're funny, this is going to be terrible. Yeah. I mean, yes. so actually it's, yeah. and, and thank God they both are just hysterical. And one of them's like the ir most irreverent person I know. And <laughs> so thank God, but sense of humor is, is an underestimated thing and not easy to just cultivate you know but it's good to use and to not feel bad about using it even if you're in the middle of adversity i think it's really important yeah so rebecca welcome thank it's you so good to meet you in person i'll just have to tell people during these podcasts rebecca has been watching the ones with seth and i only know that because her name is on the little Zoom cast, uh, little snapshots <laughs> above at the top of the screen. It always says R Axelrod. And then I asked Seth, oh, Rebecca's watching. So it's really good to see you. I appreciate you coming on. And God knows what motivates you to go ahead and put yourself out there like this. But I, I, I actually kind of know from having had some chance to talk to the two of you. So I'm not now sur surprised at all. You are totally in this. Absolutely. You're just in this. This has been your journey too. Um, we are a team. Um, the, when I was thinking about um, looking back over, over this process and, and what would be most important to me to share, and I was thinking about that initial diagnosis and Seth's surgery and the recuperation from it, I look back on that time with a fondness, which seems kind of odd, but, but it's because we had this, this um, period of time when the world stopped and it was, it was him and me against the world. Mm. And it was, it, was, um, it was so validating of our relationship and, um, and our bringing our strengths together to solve the problems and do what needed to be done. And we got this. Mm. Um, and that's, that's been the and, entire process for us. And it included um, about three to four weeks of Rebecca being with me almost continuously through the different hospitalizations. Like, mm. like where, where, where work was put on hold, our kids were put on with family. It was, it was kind of this odd extended honeymoon enjoying mm. our time together. I was in a lot of pain, but I was learning to walk again. But a honeymoon, nonetheless. Aside from that, it was a <laughs> lot of really nice time together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I, it's I can I can imagine it. I've had many versions of that, but I know it just what you mean. It was the two of you were totally ensconced in that reality, um, and and the rest of the world was further away, and and you went you were going through it together, which is a lot a lot more comforting than going through it alone and it brings more resources to the table than going through it alone so wow you know and rebecca you this thing that you 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 also indicated to me in advance of this conversation that 
this was one stage of things for you was this sort of um, the period of getting this diagnosis and the surgery and this whole thing where you were in a bubble. But then you also indicated to me that then, you know, you hit a different stage after that. And I wonder if you could tell us about that. When Seth's first metastasis showed up, the world changed dramatically because up to that point, the odds were pretty good. Um, most people with this diagnosis, um, once it's, it's removed and it never comes back, and it's a matter of living with the results of that surgery, which can be pretty dramatic, mm. but most people, it's low grade, it's done. And so I knew that there was still risk, but it, it didn't seem likely. And, um, and when that first metastasis came. And then, we, and then at the surgery, we learned it was high grade. So then the risk increased, but it still wasn't present. It was just a risk. Right. Yeah, yeah. It still could be that I was done. And it was still 70, you know, 60, 70% chance that I was done still. Yeah, yeah. But 30, 40% chance that something was going to come back. And with this particular cancer, you know, a very high success rate at, you know, completely removing the cancer initially, but once it metastasizes, they don't have a way of handling that. It doesn't respond to chemo. It doesn't respond to radiation. The, once it metastasizes, the odds are bad. Wow. And they're not bad immediately. It's not, you know, you've got six months, but it's a long, slow, steady progression. No, I thought that Seth made, he, when he explained that in one of the previous podcasts, that this is, I'd never thought of it being able to be this way before, that it can be very aggressive, but slow. Right. But it's aggressive because, as he put it, it likes to go other places in the body. And, right. it, and it's determined, you might say. I mean, if you personalize the cancer. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So once you got one metastasis, it changed the world for you. And that was the first time that it had ever occurred to me that I might ever outlive my husband. Wow. You know, our, one of our long-term jokes is our wedding contract states that I get to go first. And this was rewriting the rules. It really wow. had just never occurred to me that that could be a possible future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, looking back on it now, I know that that period of time, I had a luxury in that I had time to grapple with this. And I went through this intense soul searching process and this real identity crisis while we weren't in crisis. Um, Seth had the that second surgery to remove the first metastasis life was going on i didn't have to do anything different mm. um and i had time to really dig into what does this mean and mm -hmm. i think that most people dealing with this kind of a crisis mm -hmm. are also trying to figure out how to function with with a vastly different um life and i had the luxury of of things being pretty stable, but um, 
I sat down and looked at where I was now and what my life was could could be pretty soon because our kids were in high school at that point. So I was looking at them being out of the nest within the next five years. And if they're away from home and I don't have my husband, then who am I? And I had never, never even considered myself outside of being a wife and mother. Yeah, it's really, you put it so graphically. It's really, I can get it in a way I'm not sure I would have otherwise, is that <laughs> you really developed an identity within a certain set of conditions that you imagined would always be there. And yeah. th there would be a husband and who you mm -hmm. loved and who you knew from your early 20s, and then you have, would have children. And that that would be it, and and you would do your other things, and I and I'm aware that you have uh, some musical talents and other things you pursued, <laughs> pursued, but still, your the pillars of your existence, the things you could count on, all of a sudden, one of them was like, oh, now what? What's occurring to me is it's it's a little bit like uh, a divorce, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, a woman, uh, a man or a woman who goes through a divorce, but some people may have a prenup. You know, some people may go into a marriage with a prenup. There's some kind of plan, um, but we had no prenup. <laughs> Your you know. prenup was, you is that uh, I'll die first. That that was her you prenup. Know, that's <laughs> a prenup. I'm afraid that's a that's a, that's a any good prenup lawyer would have advised you not to sign on to that as your prenup. I mean, that's not a good idea. You can't. But oh my God, oh my God, what a change. Now you're thinking, oh, I'm gonna, it's possible I'll be without him. Who will I be? And my children will be out of the nest. Right. Um, and I'll still relate to them, but oh my God, your, your dual role of wife and mother is gone. So could I ask you, Rebecca, this might not be possible for you to answer because it might just be something that sort of took place in a way that's hard to art articulate, but. How did you search your soul? Mm. What, when you said, oh, I did soul searching and I sat and I had time to realize this, but I wonder, did you like, did you think of scenarios? Did you just let your mind speculate of, oh my God, what am I gonna do if Seth isn't here? I mean, how did you do that? My favorite way of making big decisions. Mm -hmm. I, I refer to it as trying them on for size. Mm -hmm. um, so I make a decision and see how I feel about that mm -hmm. and then change my mind. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't latching on to decisions like I, like I will do with things somewhat less important, but I definitely, um, did a lot of brainstorming. Um, it was, there are no strings attached. There are no rules. I could go anywhere in the world. I could, you know, decide that the most important thing to me is to be out in the woods in a cabin. I don't know rules. And so I did a lot of imagining what would I feel like living alone in a cabin in the woods what would i feel like in a metropolitan area and what was important to me to do with myself what was important to you is one that was also a theme 
was that as you, you know, that you started asking in, the, in light of what was going on, part of it was this question, what's really important to me? Mm-hmm. And, and when you honed in on that question, you started to get some answers. You started right. to look and say, you know what, this, this is something that I feel passionately about. This is something, and your approach to kind of where you were going changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and just one thing I want to say, one theme that I talked about before, this kind of dual existence, this kind of like living and being aware of, you know, for me, like, what do I do with myself? And I have these two different directions in mind that this is very much the same as Rebecca because it's, okay, so we're together, we have this life, but then there's also this other, here's this other possibility and that you've really been doing both because you've been living in a way that makes the other possibility work while we're together. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of living in two places at the same time. And it has been a shift on, you know, you and the relationship because it's with the, re- the reality acceptance of, you know, not that I am going to disappear at this particular time, but it's a reality that, yes, you know, like, we don't know exactly how this goes. And, you know, and I'm, and I'm fortunate to be doing as well as I am right now. Um, and, and opening up to, so how does that work? And Rebecca's really been able to balance kind of just, I, mean, I feel like just as much as me, how does it go this way? And how does it go that way? But before I got to the place that that we now know as a lovely balance, part of that process was it doesn't have to balance. What if the thing that brings me meaning and fulfillment is being a Sherpa in the Himalayas? You know, if all bets were off, you know, what um, I was I was allowing myself to examine all the possibilities and um and part of the i keep coming back with geographical references but that was useful for me to um to help kind of sort out well what would i be doing with myself why would i be there right and which helped me shape the the why why get out of bed every morning why Mm. continue with living, what is living about? Mm. Um, and when I realized that my purpose is centered in the world of education, mm. that um, and I can I can spend an entire hour talking about <laughs> about the things I'm passionate about, but um, it's easiest to say in the world of education, um, then. It was this relief that that was something I could go ahead and be investing in without it being a conflict with the things that I also was invested in doing now. And so, it, and it didn't have to wait. Once right. you, once this shifted inside you, you thought, I can do this now, or yeah. I can get on this path now. And you, so you've been pursuing education. Absolutely. Yeah. And it has had this um, added benefit, this icing on the cake, is that because I can go ahead and pursue it now, there's that much less concern about the, um, 
you know, financial issues. The, the Seth has already always been the major breadwinner. And because I now have this path for myself, that also comes with increasing my own income. Um, then as Seth has needed to step back in how much he's working, mm-hmm. it happens to be that that's been less of an issue. Mm-hmm. But that's really kind of a happy coincidence. Let me ask you, Rebecca, in in going through this soul searching process and sort of, you really remind me of how we understand identity development, even in teenagers, that they try on different things, different clothes, different personas, different identities, different friendship groups, different everything until there's sort of some shaking out that goes on. And sort of like you were thrust into a situation where actually this was a a process to go through. And um, but how much of this, given the nature of the situation with Seth and his life being at stake, how much of this would you share with him in the process of going through this? Would you, are you openly discussing, gosh, Seth, if you're gone, here's what I might do? Or was this kind of like, nah, that's a little sensitive? It was, um, go ahead. I want to say fairly open, but go ahead. I mean, in general, um, it, we're pretty comfortable with with talking as it's going you know from what what's there i will say that the part of this process when i was confronting things like um if i am widowed will there be another partner um that was stuff that i wasn't really quick to come talk to you about (laughs) um but so and partly because that felt weird that felt extramarital um in a strange way yeah i I think there's you know there's there's a a part of the grieving process that i think is helpful to do and a part of the grieving process that i don't know is super helpful to do you know it's i I, you know in terms of the career stuff you were open about this Mm -hmm. and it, it was this, you know, kind of, I think, sorting out yourself as much as, you know, between the two of us, how much of this has to be how concrete and how planned, right. you know, because again, this duality of I'm still here, <laughs> you know, um, and yet there's this potential direction. And, and I think that Rebecca's ability to sort out what her life could be I mean, this is what you said, that by sorting out what your life could be, you could be present. Right. And by, by being like mean. unable to, you know, mm-hmm. you, 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 it was harder to be. Right. Um, mm. You know, they're, they're, um, I, I would say for the vast majority of, as far as I'm aware, um, it's been open conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I say it was kind of a relief, the, um, the authenticity of, who I see myself becoming in the future is built on who I am now. Mm. And, um, and having, having found a potential future that I feel good about, um, let me let go of it and stop worrying about it. Mm. I'll be fine. I, um, you know, if I lose him, it will be awful. Mm-hmm. And I w- and like millions of people before me, I will survive it, mm. and I will continue mm. 
to have a life with meaning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now that I know that, I don't have to put all my time and energy into that. Mm. That's, that's settled. And now I can come back to the meaningful life that we're in the process of living today. Yeah. And it, it really was important for me to struggle with potential futures in order to be present now. It's so amazing. I mean, it makes me think, you know, that uh, every every couple, but unfortunately, but without having to go through cancer, should go through this process. I mean, it's sort of like a process right. where you start to say, I guess it'd be just called differentiation, but a process of saying, okay, what platform am I standing on in my life, and what is my identity? What are my own values, and what are, what's driving my stuff? Yes, I'm a mother. Yes, I'm a wife. Yes, I'm a member of this community, but is there anything else I want to be, want to do? And so it, it sort of has forced you into it. And also, in a strange way, the fact that it's been a slow process with a remaining uncertain outcome has given you time oh. to still be with your beloved partner and your family and go through this, um, right. which is not what, I mean, usually what, and I've, and I've known personally situations like this where this person is lost quickly right. and then it's like holy cow what do i do now i mean and and then then there's a long grief period and then there's a chance to maybe a year later someone's thinking you know what maybe i should do this thing i used to think i would do when i was a teenager right. and now i'm gonna do it you know it's sort of i mean yeah so this has been amazing um sort of uh weird benefit to what you've been through. There was an urgency to it at the time because once I accepted that this is the path we were on, I didn't have any kind of timeline for how long did we have. And we still don't have a timeline. No. No. But um and the longer this has la the longer this lasts, the less um less urgent does that make sense at, well, I, at the time this could have happened in a, in a few months and it needed right. to be sorted out which right. is and which is also part of the equilibrium i have at this point that mm. you know i thought several years ago that he was in imminent danger you know? mm. and um you know and we've had some pretty wonderful years in that time mm. Mm, mm. I'm remembering uh, being at a retreat once with Thich Nhat Hanh, mm. and there was a time he would allow questions. And this uh, person who was in a marriage was at the retreat. It was a man. He, the wife wasn't there. And, uh, and he was saying how much trouble they were having. And, and Thich Nhat Hanh is, asked him to close his eyes and then imagine what kind of relationship they would have in a hundred years. Uh, and the guy and everybody else, 1100 of us, uh, in this intimate retreat, uh, you know, with thought, oh, right. Uh, I'm not always going to be there with this person. And so actually, it, you, you have thought experiments that if you get, engage in them seriously, reframe 
you're forced into a thought experiment in a way, not that you would have had to go there and you're unbelievably enterprising in how you've done this and come out where you've come out. I'm amazing. I wanna ask you something else before we get further and we can still go into any of this that we want. But you know, you brought something else up in sort of a pre-podcast email. Um, and, and I was just so interested in this because I think it's so human and so true in these situations, you know, of, of how do you handle it when your spouse has cancer and other people are asking you about it, like, you know, and, and in themselves trying to figure out how to relate to it, how to relate to you, how, how to relate to Seth and everything like, and you, you said that that had been challenging sometimes. I wondered if you could say a little about it. It's kind of a tender aspect of all of this. It's a part of this that I definitely still struggle with um, because we are blessed to be surrounded by people who care and mm. want to be supportive. And, um, and so the... The challenge is when someone says, how's your husband doing? Mm. If I give them a pretty accurate answer, you know, the um, tumors are progressing, the most recent trial has ended because it wasn't successful, they're heartbroken. Mm. And, um, and I you know, didn't realize it was this bad. And I find myself having to help them process um, right. in this social conversation, the kind of heavy feelings that we've been processing for years now. And I, you know, this is not light. This is not small talk. This is, hey, I'm glad to see you. How you been? That's not the answer people want. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, right. On the other hand, how's your husband doing? Oh, he's fine. Thanks for asking. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. That's really wonderful. And it's not. And then I'm, I feel like I've lied. I've given them this false sense that everything's mm. wonderful. Mm. Um, or I'm frustrated that that there you know that people are believing that somehow he could be magically better and that's not that's not likely to happen mm -hmm. um still willing for i'm still absolutely willing for a miracle but it's not likely um mm -hmm. and and the person asking hasn't done anything wrong and i can't come out of this conversation in a way that i feel good about Right. Yeah, there's no, I don't know what you could say to such a person uh, about the challenge it poses for you. You're kind of in a, uh, no, it's a no easy situation. There's no easy answer to this, to resolve it. I mean, it just is what it is. I mean, it is. In, in, in the last few days, you know, I tried different things out. In the last few days, um, I've said to a few people, um, all things considered, I'm doing remarkably well. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> well, that that's, that's a dialectical answer. Yeah, that would seem to be pretty well because people seem to hear that and say, okay, you know, I get, a, I get like a, um, 
uh, I'm having the Gilbert and Sullivan, you know, modified rapture, you know, I'm getting like a, <laughs> like a, a supportive kind of, oh, oh, okay, well, I'm glad to hear that, you know, it's kind of communicating something. Um, it's a tricky one. You know, the people who are closest to us are able to stay closer to what's going on. The, the people who are on Facebook actually do better because they tend to know, have know more of like what, what things are happening. Yeah, they, right. You know, if I'm, yeah, if they read, if they read the paragraph, well, they know the, uh, there's ups and downs and, you know, that's, um, but the, but the opportunities for invalidation, you know, I think, I think that, that is talking about that, that making, um, trying to take care of her in a way that doesn't match or try, or trying to show optimism in a way that doesn't matter, you know, it's, there's, there's, you know, it's very hard because you, because the, the, the things you're talking about are situations in which people have positive intentions and that you, you can feel their positive intention. They're asking, they're trying to ask in what they think is a sensitive way, but they, but they're out of sync with your situation. And they're asking, it's sort of like, reminds me of once being, I was going in for a medical procedure and uh, Seth, maybe you've gone through this. I think, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm in a hallway, and I'm supposed to climb onto a stretcher. And I remember a nurse saying to me, um, "Dr. Swenson," which was <laughs> like, so it's odd already. "Dr. Swenson, do you think you could climb up and lie down on the stretcher?" And I wanted to say, "No, I'm incapable of climbing on a stretcher. I don't know how to lie down." Because, and, and, and it was totally inappropriate. I would never have said that. But I, th I, th I, I thought, and she, it was a perfectly good question. But people, I, 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 actually, I've wanted to write a book recently of, about therapists. Some book that would be next to a drugstore counter, one of these little books, like horoscope yeah. books, that says uh, stupid things therapists say. Oh yeah. I mean, but also it would be stupid things that med that healthcare professionals say but that they don't know they're stupid. They don't mean to be stupid. They're even well-intended, but it's also stupid things friends say when they're inquiring about your life-threatening condition. I mean, you guys could write a book on that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yet you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to do that because I mean, actually you appreciate that these people want to be supportive. Right. And, and I don't think the responsibility for how to ask a question that gets the answer they're looking for is on them. You know, they have, they have done the appropriate thing by expressing, I'm concerned about how he is. That's right. And that's right. Oh, I, I really feel like the struggle is mine to how to answer this question in a way that acknowledges what they're trying to say. Right and doesn't make either one of us more uncomfortable. And I just haven't figured out what that is yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the other hand, when there are uh, heavier things that happen, you know, if there's a new medical consultation and Rebecca wants to take the day off to go with me, you know, to it, you know, when there's like an obvious kind of thing, People are wonderful. People are wonderful. Absolutely People are wonderful. wonderful. It's really the, it's really the marathon. Wonderful. I mean, it's the marathon aspect of it and how to respond to the marathon. I think that that's the more challenging thing. Mm, that's All a the, good, that's the, a good the, point. Yeah, the slow roller coaster part of it because there's the, there are yeah, these yeah. downs, but, they, you know, but they're part of life. Okay. And it's the, the thing you talk about that like we're not in crisis, 
things are on fire, but you know, but that is our, <laughs> but that's life, you know, that's kind of, you know, that's, that's our, that's the nature of our life. By the fire. We're not actually being consumed by the fire. Yeah. Uh, you know, the house yeah. is on fire. You can have a seat, you know, we're just getting, you know, can I get you something to drink? The house is on fire, but please, right. you know, right. it's a little bit of a, you know, it's a little bit of that. What right. that I realized, um, we were talking about this recently, that I, I have to have multiple people that, um, that are, that I have talked about, I've used the word cancer with enough that they stop reacting to the word cancer, you know, wow. that, um, that I've, you know, I, I've kind of chosen people here and there that if I need to talk about something that is incidental to the fact that my husband has cancer, it wouldn't be part of my life if there wasn't cancer, but I'm not talking about the cancer. Um, I, I, have, I need people who are in enough on the story to not be overwhelmed by or not need a context for you know, that we're in a hospital all day. And incidentally, they had this awesome lunch, you know. <laughs> um, but I need them to be in different places. And I still have to be careful with how often um, I'm talking about these things with each of them. Because it's, yeah, yeah. it's too heavy for... Um, casual acquaintances. It's um, but even even your closer friends, you're <clears throat> a little bit sensitive to not kind of overwhelm because I particular have. friendships. I've definitely done this. Particular friendships. <laughs> yeah. Because it's it's you know oh. you know my my closest people are absolutely there when we're in crisis and. And in the same way that when we were in this initial surgery and there was a problem to be solved and the team came together, um, our extended people came together mm. and they were there for us. And if we're in crisis again, they will absolutely be there in a moment. Yeah. That marathon part, the um, just as, as much energy as we have to put into our own self-care Right. To be able to um, to have this heaviness in our You know, it really it's interesting and you're so attuned to, to this and there's so much more you could say about this, I'm sure, in with more time. But I think even in my relating to the two of you in the past twenty-four hours, I get a taste of the challenge it would be for a friendship. Because I, because my wife went through something yesterday and we went to an emergency room and we came out and then I informed you of that in the course of getting ready for these conversations. And even as I did that, I had an awareness of, wait a minute, these guys have spent a large percentage of the last six years in the hospitals and going through things that are way more mm. serious, way more threatening. And then it's sort of like, but, uh, but on the other hand, I, 
your responses don't indicate that at all. Your responses were responses of, oh, well, maybe she could try this. I've been through that before. And oh, how sorry we are that you, she'd had to go through that. So, but I'm, I'm saying that you handle it very well, but I think it must have a certain way of reverberating in so many relationships where people aren't sure whether they can share with you what's right. happening in their own lives, right? One thing I want to hit, I know we're getting short on time, is there have been times when Rebecca and I have connected with the cancer communities, including this, the families and spouses, that have been such powerful things for us. And it speaks to, you know, the different kinds of social supports, in, you know, the, the family and the friends, but also the special place for people who have gone through the similar you know, gone through the yeah. similar thing. When I was in um, radiation and I was able to stay at an American Cancer Society Hope Lodge, free mm. lodgings for people who are away from, displaced from their home mm. to have day after day uh, radiation. And the Hope Lodges are set up for families to be kind of pushed together to be interacting. And mm. they're marvelous. Mm. And do uh, you want to say a word? Yeah. Well, I expected this to be a pretty depressing place who wants to live in a building full of cancer patients right right How awful and the re the reality was that you could have the dark humor and they got it you know mm. um mm. you could say the word cancer and it you didn't have to give the room a minute to recuperate right you're right, already right. there you can share so gory details you can mm -hmm. share gory details about what the surgery is where the cancer is what the course is and this was like oh it was like you know talking to sports fans talking about how that game went because <laughs> right, know right. All about it well because they're because they know what it is to be in that game or at least their version of that game so it's yeah. a discussable topic hey you know we are getting right to the end of our time and i want to say um what a topic we didn't get to i'm hoping to get to the to you know to get together with the two of you and hang out and have further conversation and not everything has to be on a podcast, but I, um, <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank God, thankfully, thank yes. God, um, is the whole with the two of you sitting there, it makes it obvious. And it's sort of maybe a short sighted of me to not jump in earlier with this question, but the question of how it's been to be with your children, uh, and going through this, it's such a tender time when I imagine this in my own life and what it, you know, it would be one of the most uh, compelling and, and moving and important and sometimes saddening, uh, challenging, and, and yet the way you guys cope with it, I can't imagine people coping too much better. And I'm sure there's been this openness with the children and there's been open questions and open answers and open humor and open participation together. And so if you want to say one thing about that in the last minute, I'll, just- I'll say one thing which is that there are some programs uh, that are taking root in hospitals to help parents with this. Rebecca and I did a consultation at Mass General. Mm. In general, we, our approach to our kids seems to be pretty consistent with the kinds of, of ways of talking to the kids and this and that. You know, so for us, it was kind of a validation. It was kind of a reassurance of, wow, it sounds like, like you're finding ways to talk to the kids with what they're ready for and make sure they have supports. Mm -hmm. Um, but just to alert people listening that uh, there are some, some programs out there specifically on helping with this. Mm. Well, let me, let me say in closing that, uh, I mean, my, 
my gratitude is very full about you, Seth, coming on for all these hours and being so open and, and in an unprecedented way in your professional life and personal life. And, and, and Rebecca, for you being willing to jump in and talk and you're, you know, you're, I'm going to go back and listen to things you've said because, you know, obviously they really represent deep positions you've taken and thoughts that you've had. I really appreciate it. It's just nice to see the two of you together. And I want to encourage people to give you, uh, to reach out to the, to you guys through your email, Seth, uh, to ask questions or to give feedback or comments. I know how much those things mean with, uh, I get feedback on these podcasts and each person who writes says, oh, I'm sure you hear feedback all the time. <laughs> and it's totally, first of all, it's not true. And second, it's totally, an ir it's totally irrelevant because each one is just very meaningful. So if people want to write these guys, Rebecca and Seth, you can write uh, to seth.axelrod, A-X-E-L-R-O-D, at uh, yale.edu at yale.edu and i'm sure you can get through to uh, rebecca with the same thing so thank you very much so appreciate it i just think these things are going to be really valuable for a fair lot of people in the future listening so Th thanks very much charlie yeah thanks, thanks for yeah. having us yeah okay well good evening have a good evening thank you. good, good night <laughs> okay. Okay. good night Bye.